All right, we are in the book of Acts, and so you will open your Bibles to Acts chapter 2. If you need a Bible, raise your hand and we'll bring you one. Don't be embarrassed if you don't have one with you. If you want one, we'll be using it today. So if you need one, raise your hand and our blue shirts will bring you one right now. Anyone? Anyone need one? Yep, need one right here. Thank you, Heath. Yep, right down front. Anybody else? All right. We'll be in Acts chapter 2, verse 14 is actually where we will start. One truth that we... Uh, believe at refuge and that we, uh, we re- and we b- believe it because we read about it, we see it occur in the scriptures, is that when the gospel is declared and when the gospel is preached, we may see people saved. We've seen that over and over through the 14 years that we've been a church. Uh, you've probably seen and experienced that in places that you've been where the gospel has been declared and eyes have been opened, hearts have been made alive, and people respond to the gospel. You've probably seen that yourself in many other places and in many other settings, and that's what happens when the gospel is declared. And, and so this situation occurred in Acts chapter 2 uh, where we find ourselves today. Uh, all this, this chapter will kind of divide up into four sermons and we'll get to kind of what the result of all that is. Uh, But in this section, we not only see a few people saved, but there were 3,000 people who were saved uh, in in what we read about in Acts. We'll see that over in Acts chapter 2, verse 41. It tells us that very thing. And, and so where we are is this time in Jerusalem was, was a very busy time. Again, we talked about it being the, the, uh, uh, the Jewish Feast of Weeks. Remember, it was seven weeks and there were seven days in, in, in each of those weeks. So that made like 49 days and one more day. I made it 50 days and that's why it was called Pentecost uh, because that was like the 50th day of a particular time in, in, the, uh, uh, in the history or in, in their calendar year. And so even though it was uh, not a very short time before the outpouring of the Holy Spirit that we read about last week, um, really people around Jerusalem probably weren't too interested at the time about what the apostles were doing or, or what was happening in and around of what we care about, about what Jesus had been resurrected and Jesus was ascending back to the Father and, and all this was occurring. Probably people around Jerusalem weren't necessarily overly interested in what people had to say at the time. They were kind of holed up in a room and, and, and they were wondering what was going to happen. Jesus had ascended and, and this was happened back in Acts chapter 1 and we saw him. We we read about that as we were coming into Acts chapter 2. But if you remember from last week, when the Holy Spirit was poured out, we talked about that all last week. Uh, When that did happen, there were two things that happened. The Bible tells us that many were amazed uh, when they saw it. Uh, Many were amazed, the Bible tells us, and uh, that at the same time, uh, some doubted. Many were like, oh my goodness, what is happening here? You've got to tell us more about what's going on here. And some were like, yeah, I'm not really sure uh, that what was going on. Those guys must have been just drunk, you know, you know, turn it up that they're acting so weird and they're speaking these strange languages. They've got to be drunk. And, and so, uh, 
And it, they didn't believe they were drunk because they were like stumbling around and like slurring their words, although they probably thought they were slurring their words because they were speaking in unknown tongues. The Bible tells us last week, from our last week lessons that they were speaking in unknown tongues to people from literally, there were people that were in Jerusalem from, the Bible says, from every corner of the earth, for you flat earthers, uh, uh, <laughs> every corner of the earth, um, that there were people there and they were speaking to them in their own language. So these were unlearned men, and they were suddenly speaking to them in another language, a language that they could understand. And so the people that were locals there, they, they probably knew some of these guys, some, knew, knew some of these disciples, and the people that were following Jesus, and they looked at them like, I don't know what it is they're saying. It sounds like just gibberish to me. And so they're probably drunk is the only thing that they could come up to. And so Peter stepped up and he was like, hang on, let me clarify a couple of things about what's going on here today. Um, these men were not drunk. I mean, after all, it was only nine o'clock in the morning, but they were filled with the Holy Spirit is what was happening. They were sharing about Jesus with the people who were present, again, in their own language, people from literally around the world. And that's where we find ourselves as we get into uh, today's text. So let's read in today's ch text, Acts chapter 2, verses 14 through 21. The Bible says this. Um, uh, well, as, you re as we kind of jump into this, it said, All were amazed and perplexed in verse 12, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others mocking said, They are filled with new wine or they are drunk. Verse 14, where we are today. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them. Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it's only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And so he recites some things from Joel, and this is what he says. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So first thing, Peter stands up to be heard by everybody who was assembled there boldly. And he says this, he says, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. Let this be made known to you and give ear to my words. Peter said, listen, pay attention. And if there's ever a preacher that stands up on a Sunday to preach, he would love to just declare over and over again, pay attention. Hey, 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 pay attention. Sometimes when I beat on the pulpit, it's to get some of you who are Facebooking to pay attention. Come on. Yeah, that's when you're supposed to give your partner one of these. He's like, yeah, thanks, Angie. Do that to Paul. <laughs> pay attention. He said, I'm about to declare some things to you. I'm about to say some things that you need to hear what it is that I have to say. I'm about to clarify some things to you where you have clearly misunderstood what is going on. And I'm about to help you understand with your mind and with your heart what your eyes are witnessing. He said, so you're seeing something and you're thinking it's one thing, but I'm about to make it clear 
what you are seeing and help you understand with both your eyes and with your heart. In reality, this is something that each of us pastors who stand and proclaim the truth of the scriptures Week after week here in refuge in our gathering, no matter if it's me or one of our other pastors who stands and declares these truths, it's some some of the same things that we should declare to you. To listen intently to what it is that I have to say. Because the truth is, this is not just me saying something up here. This is studying through the word of God, begging the Holy Spirit to give us a message that is specific for our context and our congregation today. I don't just do this. We don't make these sermons just to fill 45 minutes of your day with. We do this because we ask the Holy Spirit to teach us something from the scriptures that is relevant to our church body today. And so we're not here just to fill your time. We're here for you to listen and to pay attention for what it is that the Holy Spirit has for each of us today specifically or anytime it is when we gather together. Because you need to hear this truth. I need to know this truth. I get the advantage of spending the time studying hours and hours throughout the week to prepare to preach just like anybody else does that stands up here. We get that advantage, but you need to hear what it is that the Holy Spirit has given us to declare to Refuge Church today. And so many times we're going to stand here and help clarify what it is the scriptures say. Our hope is that we're going to help you see Jesus in and through the scriptures as we declare these things today. And our hope is that we'll declare something that will spark the Holy Spirit to awaken you to your need for him. And so Peter then begins this declaration on what the Lord was doing through the work of the Holy Spirit. And he was trying to help them understand that that these things that they're seeing happening, the things that Joel prophesied, were some significant changes that were coming around. Changes that included this kind of this new era, this new thing that was coming, as well as the closing of an old era. Let's break this down just a little bit. Uh, Peter says, this is what the prophet Joel says. Look what he says in verse 17, first part of 17. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Now, in the Old Testament, whenever um, God chose to give his message to some of his uh, prophets or something like that, he would pour his spirit into uh, someone, it seemed like for a temporary time, for the time that God wanted to use them, for the time that God wanted them to declare some truths, God would pour out his spirit specifically for a particular reason in whatever that prophet might have had to say, or God had that prophet to say at the time. And and that prophet would declare the things to the people that God had said, this is what I want you to say to the people. We just wrapped up a minor prophet series and and, and, and we saw those very same things happen. As we preached through the minor prophets, they would say, thus declares the word of the Lord. Again, those were some angry dudes and those minor prophets. And they're like, the Lord is angry with you boys. And, and, and so he would declare the things that the Lord had told him to declare. And now Peter's quoting one of those minor prophets, Joel, to help them understand what is literally taking place in front of their eyes, like right in front of them, and what is to come as a result of it. And so Peter is saying, God will now pour out his spirit, the Holy Spirit, on all flesh, not just his prophets, but on all flesh that God is going to pour out his spirit. 
Anyone who turns from their sins, who repents of their sins and put their faith and trust in the finished work of Jesus, then he will fill him with the Holy Spirit. So we talk about this a lot, that we talk about repenting and believing. That, you'll hear us say those words a lot, repenting of our sins and believing the gospel. Listen, don't lose me. Repenting of our sins and believing the gospel. Those are the two key elements in what it means to become a Christian. Repenting of our sins means that we're turning away from our sins. We go, I recognize that my life that I'm living, the things that I'm doing, the things that I find myself engaged in are an affront to a holy and righteous God. And I don't want to do that anymore. So I'm declaring that I know I'm sinning against you, God, and I want to turn away from that. I want to give up those kind of things, and I want you, God. That's repenting. Say, I'm sorry for doing that. I recognize that this is against you, God. That's repentance. And then they go, and I want to believe the gospel. I want to believe the truth of the gospel, that Jesus came and he lived a sinless life that is required of us to be in the presence of a holy and righteous God. We can't be uh, in the presence of a sinless God. We can't be part of the family of God unless we're sinless. And how many of you are sinless? Raise your hands. My hand's not up. None of us. None of us will ever get it all right all the time. We just can't. We won't. And it's why we, needed, we desperately needed Jesus to come and live the life we did. Take on flesh just like you and me. To, to be tempted in every way just like you and I are tempted in every way. Yet he did it without sin. Where we sin in some of those places, Jesus did it without sin. And the scripture says, then he went to a cross and he shed his blood on a cross. Why did he shed his blood on a cross? Because it took the sinless lamb of God to shed his blood. Why did he have to shed his blood? Because the scripture says, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. We see all these Old Testament sacrifices. The scripture also tells us that the blood of bulls and goats and all those animals that those priests, God bless them, had to sacrifice throughout the Old Testament, the blood of those bulls and goats and lambs did not take away anybody's sin. All that was pointing forward to the Lamb of God who would take away the sin of the world. And so we repent of our sins and we believe the gospel. And then the scripture says, when, that's, when that happens, we say, Jesus, I need you. You are my only hope. You're my only hope in life and death. We repent and believe the gospel. The scripture says we will be saved and we will be filled with the Holy Spirit. And so... That's one of the reasons we don't use this terminology at Refuge. I'm about to hurt some of y'all's feelings. We don't ask Jesus into our hearts. Okay? That's not, that's not biblical terminology. Uh, th- that is somewhat off. That, 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 I don't know where that, honestly, I have no, I have no idea where that came from. But it's prevalent in our churches today. You probably said it. You've probably said it in your churches before, if you, before you came to refuge. We still use that terminology here because it's not biblical language. When that's Jesus into our hearts, we repent of our sins and we believe the gospel. Then we are saved. Tracking with me? If you're offended, get unoffended. Okay? Amen? All right, here we go. 
So, so now the Holy Spirit is alive and working in all believers. If you're a Christian today, if you've repented of your sins and, 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 and uh, believe the gospel, then you are filled with the Holy Spirit today. And the Holy Spirit is actually alive and working in and through you today. He's, and, and that happens in all believers. Peter, uh, Peter continues in Joel and says the second part of verse 17 and 18. Look what he says. He goes on from there and he says this. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And so Peter was saying, hey, what Joel said here, what Joel prophesied in his, in his uh, minor prophets, in his minor prophet writings, what he had prophesied was actually what they had just witnessed. What, what had just occurred at Pentecost and what had happened whenever people began to speak in these unknown tongues, they had just witnessed. And, and the Holy Spirit didn't just get poured out on 12 or uh, a 70 or 140, not just on men, but on women and servants and everybody. Say everybody. Everybody that was there, the Holy Spirit, that those who had repented and believed, the Holy Spirit got poured out on all those people, those who follow God. And so then and today, God has poured out his spirit on all who repent and believe. If you're in Christ, if you've done that very thing, then you are filled with the Holy Spirit. Listen, there is no such thing as a Christian who is not anointed and filled with the Holy Spirit for ministry. It doesn't exist. There's no such thing as a Christian who is not anointed with the Holy Spirit, filled with the Holy Spirit, and called into action as part of following Jesus. You're like, say what, preacher? You talking about me? Maybe. You talking about me being used in ministry? Maybe. But if you're filled with the Holy Spirit, then yes. I'm talking to you. Paul writes this later in... in um, uh, this is what he says in 1 Corinthians 12, 13. For by one spirit, we are all, say all. We are all, for one spirit, we are all baptized into one body. We do not all have the same gifts, but we do have the same spirit. And here at Refuge, we are all, say all. We are all called to be deeply involved in the ministry of the kingdom of God. And so I'm just telling you, if you're a Christian, you claim to be a follower of Jesus, then if, if that is true about you, then you are filled with the Spirit of God. And it is not your job to just show up on Sunday at 1020. <laughs> at 1020 and grab a seat somewhere and just take it all in and then do nothing with it. Okay? That's not Christendom. I know that's Southern evangelicalism that many of us have grown up in, but that is not the calling of Jesus' followers. Our calling is to be involved in ministry. We are called to be deeply involved in the ministry of the kingdom of God. So just as they all received the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost, all who, those who were followers of Jesus they were, called to be, they were called to be deeply involved in the ministry of the kingdom of God. And so here's the question for each of us. 
What is your ministry in the kingdom? What is your ministry in the kingdom? What I want us to do, all of us to do right now, we're going to take just a minute quietly, and I want you to answer that question. Just between you and the Holy Spirit, be honest. Whether good or whether it's bad or whether you're overly involved or whether you're not involved at all in any kind of ministry work, what is your ministry in the kingdom of God? We're going to take just a a minute or a minute and a half, and uh, I just want you to spend some time with the Lord. Ask the Holy Spirit what it will, what it is that he would have you do. We're just going to be quiet. We're going to play a little music, and uh, you you just pray it and see what the Holy Spirit tells you. So church, whatever it is that the Holy Spirit might be awakening you to or revealing to you right now, whatever he has pricked your heart with or stirring in your being, for whatever that the Holy Spirit may be doing with you, if you're like, hey, I, I feel like God's called me to this or I'd really like to be part of this, or I think this is my gifting, and I'd like to use it here at at this church. Then when our our gathering's over, I want you to find an elder. If you don't know who our elders are, just find me, and we'll all be hanging out together. But find an elder somewhere. Talk with one of us about how you can begin to use your giftings. Look, God didn't bring you here to just just sit in that and, and, and to set your gifting aside. God brought you here to edify this church body. This church body will be much better if you're here, if you're using your gifts for the advancement of the kingdom. So find one of us and let's talk about that before you leave here today. All right, let's keep moving. So what have we learned so far? Here's what we've seen so far. There was a foreign languages evidence of the is evidence of the Spirit's work when it was needed. That's what we saw happen with the, the with the disciples and those who were following Jesus. They spoke in a different tongue. They were spoken in a language that other people understood. And I, look, I, I've heard stories. It hasn't happened to me, but I've heard stories of people going to other places where it was dark and they haven't heard the gospel, and they're able to speak in a language that they did not know. The Holy Spirit allowed them utterance to speak in a language that they did not know and to share the gospel of of Jesus, to share the good news of Jesus with with others in foreign lands. We don't necessarily have to do that here because the vast majority in America, what do we speak? English. Yeah, we speak English. 
And so there's no need for me to speak in a tongue to you because you understand, we all understand the same language. Secondly, we saw the Holy Spirit begin to work in all kinds of people. It wasn't just limited to the apostles anymore. The Spirit began to work in all kinds of people. And because that was happening, and because there were people from every nation, literally from every corner of the earth, the Scripture tells us, that suddenly they were beginning to reach the nations because they were there, they were hearing the gospel, and they were going back to their people. And suddenly that gospel seeds was going away from Jerusalem into all these different nations. And, it was, and, and what we saw is that the Spirit was significantly impacting their hearts. We'll see that play itself out is they were changed by the spirit. The Holy Spirit can't live within you and you be the same. You can't be the same person. You cannot remain the same if you're changed by the Holy Spirit. The pres- that, that is literally the presence and the power of God that changes you. We can't be the same if we're filled with the Holy Spirit. So Again, evaluate yourself around those very things. So again, Peter and and the others during that time, they saw God work in some very unique ways. And and Acts is going to show us that. Acts is kind of almost one of those transitional books that we see uh, God do some really miraculous things as the gospel is being exploded into the scene and, and, and carried around the world. We see him do some really miraculous things in Acts that not, aren't necessarily the normative thing that we see even throughout the rest of the, of the New Testament and not necessarily what we see happen on a regular basis today, but we would say this at Refuge. What we can read in Acts, God did it then, and we believe that God can and still does do some of those kind of things today. We don't believe, at Refuge, we don't believe any of the gifts have ceased. We don't think they've gone away. The same God that caused people to do these things and act is the same God that we serve today. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He doesn't change. I know you may come from a, 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 a church background that says, hey, certain things have changed and certain things have ceased and certain things have gone away. I just don't read it in the scriptures. I don't necessarily see it practiced regularly, but just because I don't see it practiced regularly or I don't do it regularly doesn't mean that it has ceased, okay? All right, good. Glad we're on the same page. And so, look, Peter continues Joel's prophecy uh, to demonstrate not only uh, was God doing a new work uh, in reaching the nations, but he was bringing to fulfillment the old covenant and really inaugurating the new covenant. He was bringing to fulfillment the old covenant and was inaugurating the new covenant. Look what it says in um, verse 19 and 20. And I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs in the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness, the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And so he was like, there's going to be wonders in the heavens above. There's going to be signs on the earth below. Um, uh, blood and fire and vapor and smoke is going to happen. The sun's going to turn to darkness. The moon's going to turn to blood. Where's John Hagee when you need him? Uh, uh, so as you read this, many people, many of you may be like I was when I first read this, uh, when, especially when it came to these Old Testament prophecies, prophecies you're like, 
what is he talking about? When I first read this, I was like, I, I don't know exactly what this means. I don't know how this Old Testament minor prophet and it coming to fruition here, what does this actually mean? So I had to study a little bit. It's, it's really hard to understand, especially, especially for us Westerners and our context today. Uh, this, this language is really somewhat poetic. It was some symbolism that was involved in it. Uh, I mean, there are points that we hear that are very specific, uh, but some things are not literal, like the blood turning into like blood. I mean, the moon turning into blood, I mean, that didn't literally happen. Can we agree with that? Yeah, okay, two of us can. Can the rest of you agree that the moon probably did not turn into literal blood? Okay, good, thank you. Um, but here's what I want you to think back to. Think back to um, what happened when Jesus was rejected and murdered. Think back to that time. Many great things happened in the sky. Many great things happened on the earth. What were they? Great earthquake? Earthquake happened. People rose from the dead. People rose from the dead. The sky went what for three hours? Completely dark for three hours. The veil of the temple was torn where? From top to bottom. Look, Matthew, uh, uh, Matthew chapter uh, 27, verse 50 and 52 says this. Uh, recorded this. And Jesus cried out again with a, uh, a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth shook and rocks were split. The tombs were also opened, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. Are you kidding me? I mean, there was some crazy stuff going on then, and, and stuff that matches what it was that Joel had prophesied would actually go on during this, during some particular time. And then the centurion cried out in, in verse 54, surely this was the son of God. And Luke, who wrote Acts, also records this very thing in chapter 23. He records these very same things happening. And so all this had just occurred, and, and the apostles were gathered in the upper room, and they were praying. And, and just like we talked about last week, the Holy Spirit fell on them. Tongues of fire came over them. They began to speak in languages that they did not understand, a tongue that was foreign. And so the people of the world gathered around could understand what was going on, and many were amazed. And some people thought that they were drunk because of the languages that they were speaking. And Peter was like, hey, they're not drunk. They're just, uh, uh, and, and so he starts explaining what was going on to them, appealing to the Old Testament prophet Joel about what they were actually witnessing during this time. And so you think about it, all this was taking place in Jerusalem and they were like, man, th this is, th some people probably, they saw some of these things and probably some of them just went back to their houses and like, okay, that was weird. Uh, and they went back to their houses and like, it was dark for three hours. Hadn't seen that before, but whatever, you know, uh, we'll just go back to raising our goats or whatever they were doing at the time. Uh, but, but, but in this, uh, Peter was explaining to them what they had just seen, okay? And that's, that's basically what this text was about. L let me explain to you what has just happened here that you've just seen. We've just seen occur in our city. And so today we have to ask this question. Why, why does it matter to us today? What, what is this all about today? 
And what do we, how do we take that thing that occurred? We, okay, we can, we'll give you that it occurred and we give you that that's what he was talking about. But why does it even matter today? Well, I, I'm glad you asked. Uh, one, I, I think we have to see this. We have to accept the old covenant is fulfilled in Jesus. Okay? The old covenant is fulfilled in Jesus. And so I'm, I'm not trying to pull an Andy Stanley shock value here. Um, Yes, Second uh, Timothy 3, if you don't know what that's about, uh, Andy Stanley's tried to unhitch the Old Testament from the New Testament, but that's not what I'm trying to do, okay? Second Timothy 3.16 says, all scripture is breathed out by God, is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for the training in righteousness. All that is true, but the Old Testament pointed to who? Jesus, that's right. All the Old Testament was said from the fall uh, from the fall of Adam, from the fall of man, where sin entered into the world, the hope was all, God didn't wring his hands and go, oh no, what are we going to do now? And look around and go, uh, how, how are we going to resolve this? The plan from the beginning of time has always been that Jesus would be the savior of the world. The fall was always part of that plan. And I know some of you that are maybe hearing that for the first time, that feels a little squirrely to you, but it's true. Thing, things don't surprise God, okay? Things don't surprise him. And so the fall was not a surprise to him. It was a fulfillment of the plan that Jesus would be the hero of all things and Jesus would be the savior of all the world. That's always been the plan. And so the fall is we have to accept that the old covenant that was always pointing to the Savior that was to come was fulfilled in Jesus. Paul writes about this in Galatians chapter 3. Turn to Galatians, turn to the right in your Bibles to Galatians chapter 3 because I think it's important that we see this. We talk about the old covenant being fulfilled. Galatians chapter 3. Galatians was the first book that we preached through here at a Refuge. We spent 32 weeks in the six chapters of Galatians. See, it's gotten better. <laughs> I literally took verse by verse, very literally, at that time. So this is what, this is what, uh, this is what the scripture says here in uh, Galatians chapter 3. Look at verse 10. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Verse 11. Now it is evident that no one, say no one, no one is justified before God by the law. No one is justified by God by the law. Why? Why do you think that's true? Because no one can what? No one can keep the law. No one can fully obey the law. Uh, Jesus expounded on that. He said, this is what you think this means. He, he said, if you think this is what it is, let me explain to it a little bit further. And it goes further than it goes into your thoughts and intentions, not just your actions. So no one is justified by the law for the righteous shall live by faith. Verse 12, but the law is not a faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by faith. Verse, thir faith. Verse 13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. So he stepped in. He became the mediator. He became the go-between between man and the curse of the law. 
For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree, so that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised spirit of faith. Now go down to verse 23 with me. Now, before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned under the, until the coming of faith would be revealed. 24. So then the law was our guardian until what? Until Christ came. The law was the guardian. Hey, we're trying to keep you in line a little bit. We're trying to show you what it looks like to live and follow the, the, what God would have us do. It was our guardian until Christ came in order that we may be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. You see that? Except the old covenant is fulfilled in Jesus. Now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. And we should all say, hallelujah, praise the Lord. Where's the tambourine? You know what I'm saying? That's glorious grace. We just sang about glorious grace. That is glorious grace that we are no longer under the law. So if you are in Christ, you've repented of your sins, put your faith and trust in the finished work of Jesus, if you are filled with the Holy Spirit, you are no longer under the condemnation of God. You are no longer under the law of God. The law has been filled, fulfilled on your behalf because Jesus has imputed his righteousness to you and he has taken all your sin as if you broke the law continually. Jesus took the punishment for you breaking the law continually and he gave you his righteousness as if you had fulfilled all of the law. That's the scandalous nature of the gospel, is that we get all the good and he got all of our bad. That's a beautiful thing that he chose for us. Now, if you are not a Christian, listen, if you are not a Christian, you are still under the condemnation of God. You will die in your sin and you will face the active wrath of God for eternity. That will happen to you. You don't have to believe it. You can dismiss this pastor. You can dismiss anything that I have to say, but I'm, I'm, your, I'm the, the clarion call today. You will not be able to stand before God one day and say, I didn't know, because I'm telling you right now, Outside of repenting of your sins, turning from your sins, and putting your faith and trust in the finished work of Jesus and Christ alone, then you will perish in your sin and face the wrath of God for all of eternity. The wrath of God still rests on you right now until you come, until you repent and believe the gospel. And that is our plea with you today. That is our plea with you every week at Refuge. But it is specifically my plea for you today is to turn from your sin. Believe the gospel. Come to Jesus today. You need Jesus, and we want to tell you about him. Amen, church? Amen. Secondly, anticipate the Spirit's work in the new covenant. Under this new promise, Ephesians chapter 2, Paul writes this, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. You didn't do anything to get it. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no man may boast. Listen, you can't work your way into heaven. 
You can't work your way up into God needing you more, uh, loving you more. I'm going to talk about that in a little bit. Verse 10, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So we're called to be deeply involved in the work of the ministry and the kingdom of God. We're not called to sit soaking sour here in our church pews or our church seats. Our calling is to be about the work of the kingdom if you are in Christ Jesus. But we, so we are created for good works. We don't do that begrudgingly. We don't do that where we're like, oh, I guess I've got to go serve some people today. That's not what this is about. If that's your attitude, you know what we'd tell you? Stay home. But God empowers us. The spirit that lives within us empowers us to go and do and to live in this very way. So anticipate the spirit's work in the new covenant. That he's going to conform form you and conform you into the image of Jesus. And to help you put away those things that were part of your life before. And to put on some new things and, and renew our mind. To, to put away those old thoughts out of our mind. And to put on the new, put on Christ. Yes, we're going to be like uh, the Apostle Paul and says, I, I don't do the things that I want to do and I do the things that I don't want to do. You, we're going to wrestle with those things until Jesus comes again. But thanks be to God for his indescribable grace. So anticipate that the, the, the Lord is going to do some good work in you in the new covenant. Thirdly, do not accept mere religiosity. Hmm. Religion says, I'm accepted by God because of what I do or what I don't do. That's what religion tells you. And there may be people in your family that tell you that. There may be people in your inner circles that say, hey, you know what? If you'll just do X or if you'll just do Y or if you'll stop doing this, then God will accept you. The only thing that that can be true about is if, if they're telling you, if you will repent of your sins and believe the gospel. That's the true part. But these works that your people might be encouraging you to do for acceptance, that's not true. Religion says if I try to keep the Ten Commandments, if I try to help people when I can, if I do as much as I can, then God will be pleased to me. And hopefully at the end of the day, my good will outweigh my bad and then God will accept me. My friends, that is simple religion and it is damnable to many of you that are, are, that are depending on what you do for God's acceptance. Paul says in Romans 3, 28, for we hold that, that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. So your good deeds are useless. Listen, your good deeds are useless when gaining righteousness with God, okay? Your Sunday attendance is useless when gaining Righteousness. Your giving is of no value when trying to gain righteousness. We do all those things from salvation, not for salvation. Let me explain that. If I am, if I am doing good deeds, if I am coming to church on Sundays, if I'm throwing some money in the offering plate so that God will accept me, we're wasting our time. That, that is for acceptance, and that is trying to gain my way into the kingdom. 
Christianity says, the scripture tells us that when we repent of our sins and put our faith and trust in Jesus and he changes us and fills us with his spirit, then we begin to do good deeds from acceptance. We begin to come and gather with God's people to be encouraged from salvation. We begin to give our time and our talents and our treasure so that the gospel may continue to be advanced from salvation. That's the way that order actually goes. And so we don't do it for acceptance. We do it from acceptance. We do them from salvation, not for salvation. We do not do good works for, uh, to be in Christ. That's religion. We are created for good works. So instead of religiosity, which is exhausting, we should do this. Live by the power of the Spirit. Live by the power of of the Spirit, the indwelling presence of God, the Holy Spirit. He indwells us. He empowers us to do what we cannot do on our own. What we cannot or even will not do on our own. I can tell you, I, I know Scott Benjamin prior to being filled with the Holy Spirit. I know Scott Benjamin, big fun, before he became a Christian. He would not spend his time in church and he would certainly not spend his time talking to you about Jesus. He would avoid it at all costs because all Scott Benjamin had experienced was religiosity. And he didn't want anything to do with it. Until the Holy Spirit awakened me one day when I was 30 years old. And I repented of my sins and put my faith and trust in the finished work of Jesus. And, and God filled me with his spirit. It began to change me, and old things began to fall away. It took a while, still, still working on some of that. And putting on new things, putting away old things, putting on new things. And then God calls you into something like being a church planner, who I couldn't do it on my own. I couldn't do this on my own, wouldn't do it on my own, except through the power of the Holy Spirit. This only happens because the Spirit is at work in and among all of us. Those 12 families that came along with us, the Spirit was at work to go, man, we don't know what we're doing, but we're going to follow the Lord. Live by the power of the Holy Spirit. Which brings us to the close of Peter's declaration from Joel. He says this, And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Without calling upon the name of the Lord and without being saved, anything you do, anything you attend, anything you give in order to gain favor or tip the scales with God, all of it is useless. Say useless. All of that is useless. But this one thing is sure, that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. What does that mean, preacher? I'm going to say something I've said all day long. Repent of your sins and believe the gospel. Turn from your sins and believe that Jesus came and lived the life that you have to live, that you cannot live on your own. Die to death that you deserve and will die outside of Christ and gave you all of his righteousness. Believe the gospel that when we repent of our sins and we believe the gospel that the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit actually indwells us. Here's what you may say. Preacher, you don't know me. 
Preacher, you don't know me. You don't know what I've done, preacher. All this stuff you're talking about is just way too good to be true. This seems like I'm getting away with something if all I have to do is repent of my sins and believe the gospel. It seems like I'm getting away with something, preacher. (laughs) Yep. That's the scandalous nature of the gospel. You don't deserve it, but you get it. You deserve punishment from God, but Jesus took it. You get all the benefits, uh, you get all the benefits of living a sin a sinless life because Jesus bore your sin. And you don't have to face judgment because Jesus took the wrath that was yours. You know, if I were the judge, if I were your judge, and we had to review the way you've lived your life and the sinful things that you've been involved in, maybe even up to last night or the morning before you walked in this door, or maybe if your family was your judge, or if your spouse was your judge, or just choose anyone on earth that knows you and they were your judge, you might be right. And they'd probably give you some pretty harsh punishment for the sins that you've committed against them. But thanks be to God for his indescribable grace. Because where your sin abounds, grace much more abounds. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. John said this, for God did not send Jesus into the world to condemn the world, but so that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in Jesus, which means repenting of your sins and believing the gospel Just like Joel writes in this verse on the screen, whoever believes in Jesus is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. This I declare to you today. Everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Today, I hope it's you. Let's pray.